0: All right, so we're continuing in a series that we started last week. It is called Rhythm. It's Reclaiming God's Design for Spiritual Vitality. And this week, the title is Thirsting. And so we are taking a look at these um, interesting rhythms of life that... There are physical rhythms that are kind of built into the way God has designed us, and there's some instructiveness even as we view these physical rhythms, and we learn some things about spiritual rhythms that perhaps uh, we might easily miss, and so we're kind of taking a look at five of these together. So today we're looking at thirsting. I want to start with an unusual um, Road sign, I love it when sometimes people have a little sense of humor when they're putting on signage. And so here's a road sign that was in a wilderness highway that reads this way choose your rut carefully, you'll be in it for the next 60 miles. And in, in our case, as we're talking about rhythm, we really are talking about not a rut, maybe uh, substitute that out for a Routine, a rhythm, the the pattern that's going to be helpful to you, that's just going to be continuing on for you. When you choose carefully, uh, you get the most out of that. And so we want you to be uh, choosing very carefully. Now, some rhythms are... Automatic. We even call them, I don't know why we call automatic rhythms autonomic, like our autonomic nervous system and our respiratory system. We think in terms of these physical rhythms as so automatic, like your breathing, that you don't have to think about breathing, and your heartbeat, that you don't have to think about your heartbeat, so on and so forth. And maybe you've even thought in terms of your thirsting mechanism is so automatic, you really don't have to think about it, just get a drink when you're thirsty. And what we discover is that a lot of bodily rhythms, even the autonomic ones, will fool you. And that you need to figure out uh, your systems well enough to uh, be intentional. Now, this is true about a lot of our bodily rhythms, but it's especially true about our spiritual rhythms. Spiritual rhythms, for you to be healthy, you have to be Intentional. Without the intentionality, you're going to uh, run into some danger zones. Um, And particularly when we're talking about thirsting, uh, I think that's what the point of uh, this whole day is about to understand that our thirst mechanism physically can be faulty. We're going to talk about that. And our thirst mechanism spiritually. Can be faulty. There is a large gap between your perceived thirst and the reality of your condition. This can happen when you're talking about physical thirst and dehydration. Uh, People get dehydrated because there is a large gap between their perceived thirst and their actual condition, and they enter into a dehydration. problematic state. And so we're going to talk about spiritual dehydration and hopefully bring this home to really get at the idea that we need to develop some uh, intentional rhythms as it relates to our thirst rhythm. Okay? So we're going to be meeting... um, A lady that Jesus had an interesting conversation with. Uh, Some of you, as soon as I say we'll discover this in John chapter 4, know precisely the conversation and precisely the interchange between Jesus and this lady. And we'll discover that she was so thirsty and she was going about trying to fill the needs for her thirst in all of the wrong ways. Before we jump into that, Story, I have a story of my own to make vivid the idea of this gap. Okay? And so, point number one is this don't wait till you feel thirsty. Don't wait till you feel thirsty. The first time I became aware of this large gap uh, between my thirst and my condition. Uh, was not in the desert like you would think. The danger of dehydration, um, you're more aware of it in the desert. Uh, I'm more aware of it in heat, in dry country. I'm I usually am more equipped and prepared and more mindful. Um, I still get caught by it when I'm working in the backyard so close to water and out too long and getting older, um, did I just admit that? I did. And so there's the gap that is, kind of fools you that you got to drink before you feel like drinking. Now, what I discovered many, many years ago while I was young, and my wife and I discovered it together, and we wished we didn't have to discover it the hard way, is that gap is huge between your thirst mechanism and where you're really at, and where we learned it was a surprise, We learned it with water all around us, water with us, and we didn't feel thirsty and it nearly killed us, okay? So I want to tell you that story and it literally did kill some other hikers And dehydration contributed to their demise, but here was the condition under which we learned this terrible uh, reality of the gap between our thirst and our reality. And here's a picture, it's not the exact place, but it was uh, close enough. We were two days deep into a backpacking trip. We were experienced backpackers. We had gone on backpacking trips with guides, even in the winter. So we were on a late fall backpacking trip. and stupid me, I was excited for the possibility of snow uh, because we had been in winter backpacking trips before, so we had the equipment, we had the warmth, we had the gear, we had the know-how. but We weren't weren't prepared for the storm that we encountered. So two days deep into the wilderness, two days of hiking with a backpack into the wilderness, it began to snow. And it turned out in this late fall that a record-breaking late fall snowstorm hit. And we, uh, of course, checked weather out, just like we do here. And how right is weather? When you check it out, it wasn't as right as we had hoped and it dumped snow for days and it took us two days to get out what we covered in three days while it snowed and it dumped two feet on us and two feet in climbing when we finally got back to the car. Now, we both experienced almost taking turns with a lot of uh, symptoms that we're experiencing, and these symptoms included cramps, really bad cramps in my lower back and and in my hamstrings, and I just chalked that up to, well, I'm trudging through two feet of snow with a heavy winter backpack, of course I'm going to cramp up, and uh, we also experienced nausea. And other debilitating things kind of, uh, it was fortunate that for us, it wasn't both of us at the same time. And so we kind of, one person would encourage the other person, so on and so forth, while we're going through this. And fortunate for us, we also had a tent and uh, warmth and winter stuff, and we, we made it through. But the story is bigger than that. All I want to cover is that when we got back, we did hear in the news that other hikers did not make it. And they did not make it because while you're in alpine backpacking conditions or even winter sports conditions, the experts will tell you, you have to force yourself to drink when you don't feel like you're thirsty. Because every breath, you can see it leave your body, your moisture is leaving your body. And you are literally just becoming dehydrated with all that activity. The more activity that you have, the faster you are dehydrating and you will not feel thirsty in the alpine conditions. We, we had plenty of water. We were carrying plenty of water. We took water breaks, but not at the recommended levels with the amount of exertion that we were putting out there. And it became dangerous to us. Had we uh, not gotten out when we did, we thought the biggest danger was finding our way out, finding the trail. That's what we thought our biggest danger was because under two feet of snow, it's really easy to get disoriented. It's hard to find your way out. So that's what made us really nervous. We thought our nausea was partially caused by stress and anxiety. But dehydration was playing a huge, huge role in this. Now, I tell you all of this simply to say, spiritually, we must learn how to drink before we are thirsty, spiritually. We have to set up, just like the Alpine experts say, a scheduling of our priorities. Sometimes you think of life as listing out your priorities and scheduling your priorities in the order in which you do it. Well, let's take the priority of drinking and literally schedule it. And the Alpine experts say, schedule your drinking on the hour and force yourself to drink X amount, and they would name off how much uh, output you're putting out. you got to drink this much to make that up in those conditions. Schedule your drinking and force yourself to drink when you don't feel like drinking. If that's all I said today, and I said, your life, your spiritual life depends on it, It's life and death we're talking about. Some of you are walking around spiritually dehydrated and wondering how come you're having so much trouble in your relationships with others and in your relationships with God and in your own desires as you're thirsting for all of the wrong things. And so that is where I begin today. Let's jump into a conversation Jesus had with a woman. She was dangerously dehydrated spiritually and she had no idea. And so point number 2 is this, Jesus exposes our faulty thirst. Jesus exposes Our faulty thirst. I'm not going to put the text on the screen. It's a lengthy passage. I want to just read it all the way through. If you'll turn to John 4, you can follow with me. If you just want to listen, you may do that. John 4, um, if we had time, I'd read from verse 4 all the way through verse 34, but I will be stopping much earlier than that, probably around verse 19. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So this is some 2,000 years previous. It's like, ah, wow. Jacob's well was still there. This is a very important well, and you'll hear about it. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, that's like the understatement of the century. There is a deep prejudice both directions between the Samaritans, who were half-breed Jews, could not trace their lineage, historically had kind of betrayed their roots, and the tensions were historically really, really deep. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said this woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Now, I'd be tempted if I was Jesus to simply say, yep, Uh, but uh, you gave us the well and drank, uh, he gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you are, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. And then she changes the subject. Totally takes it right off track away from this thing that's getting a little too close to home, a little too personal. Now, what I find fascinating is that Jesus doesn't try to get it back on this track. He doesn't come back to her sin. He doesn't come back to the adultery. He doesn't come back to her condition. He's got her attention, and that's what he really wanted. And they then have a conversation about worship and true worship, and she's, she likes to take it on uh, nice, spiritual, controversial subjects that aren't hitting quite so close to home so that she can kind of feel more comfortable continuing this dialogue. He is a prophet, so let's keep it there, okay? Let's not make it so personal. And she just asks questions about where worship should be and how, what it should look like. And then when that's starting to hit a little close to home, then she says, well, we'll just wait and see because the Messiah is going to come. And then Jesus really surprises her and he says... I am He. In fact, the way our translations read, um, it sounds like he said, I am the Messiah, but he does something bigger than that. I myself am, is how he responds, with uh, almost the name of God into the answer that he himself is the Messiah. I myself am He. He is implied. So, that's fascinating. But what Jesus is doing here in the interchange is that he is exposing her faulty thirst. Now, um, I really wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to go with it anyway. We're talking about rhythm, right? Everybody's done this thing where you go, can you, you know, rhythm is easy, right? If If you have just one rhythm going on, but then if I say, all right, go ahead and do it with me, you guys, oh, can we just talk about spiritual things? Let's not get personal here, right? All right, rhythm is easy if you're just doing your own rhythm, but then if I would say as you're tapping your head, try rubbing your tummy too. It suddenly gets hard to do both, right? Now it's easy if you start one, then add the other, but if you try to do both at the same time, it really messes you up. Okay, now. We live in a world of rhythms, spiritual rhythms, faulty rhythms, physical rhythms, and our schedules get thrown at us with so many different rhythms going on, and what I'm suggesting to you is that a spiritual rhythm is the priority above all other rhythms. Get that one going first, and all the rhythms will then fall into place or fall off your rhythm plate, okay? And then life's going to become a greater joy if you will schedule your thirsting and learn to thirst in the right things. So we've got point number 1, don't wait till you feel thirsty. Point number 2, Jesus exposes our faulty thirst and point number 3, faulty thirst doesn't fully satisfy She was going through relationship after relationship after relationship in a time and place and culture where that was shameful, very difficult to do, even in the Samaritan culture. And that's why she's going for water in the heat of the day when none of the other ladies are going. And that's why even though there were wells in Sychar where she lived, she went way outside of town to the Jacob's well where it took a long trek to get there because she doesn't want to have to interact with everybody else about her shame. They already all looked down their noses at her. I'm guessing she was attractive. I'm guessing she's a little bit of a threat to the rest of the ladies. That's all just total guesses. I mean, in that culture, how do you keep getting man after man after man with that kind of a background? But here's what's really going on. She has a deep thirst that she keeps trying to satisfy the wrong way. And we all tend to do that. God has created us for a really deep thirst that can only be satisfied in a vital relationship with himself. And that's why even very, very wealthy people who have it all still feel thirsty and need more somehow because they're not happy with it all because they've been trying to satisfy their thirst in all the wrong ways. Until our thirst is quenched in Jesus, there's going to be a thirst that is just driving us in crazy places like this lady. Now, I believe the men in their life, probably driven by the thirst as well, And nothing is working. She thinks if she can find the right man, she'll be satisfied and happy. And man after man after man. And probably the men are thinking, if they can just find the right woman, they'll be happy. And so somewhere along the line, nobody's happy. And they're going through the serial broken relationship cycle of trying to satisfy themselves and the wrong thirst. On the screen is a quote that I read from a book by Calvin Miller, The Song, back in 1980. I was quite young. I memorized this quote. In fact, as I was just writing this sermon, I, oh yeah, and I could just quote the quote. Love is substance, lust illusion. Only in the surge of passion do they mingle in confusion. Why did I memorize it? Ooh. You're asking a personal question, right? It's common teenage struggle. Ha <laughs> Teenage? It's a common struggle to think that lust and fulfilling that lust, that thirst, that hunger, that if I can just bring satisfaction, it'll be great. And we discover we're more and more thirsty as we go ignoring the patterns and rhythms that God has given us. Her soul was thirsty, she doesn't know it. She was trying to satisfy her soul's thirst in all the wrong ways. So review point number one, don't wait till you feel thirsty. Point number two, Jesus exposes our faulty thirst. Point number three, faulty thirst doesn't fully satisfy. And point number four, you are designed for a deeper Thirst. Now, that's pretty clear, but it bears some thought, some rhythm of thought, allowing that thought to sink in, to actually agree with that thought, that if you really want to be happy, aim for those things that truly satisfy a deeper thirst. I love John Piper's quote in Future Grace. It reads, Sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. Now, sometimes I forget that people hear things with their filters instead of my filters. And if your filter is, I know, God really let me down. And so I forget God. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. If that's how you're hearing it, that's not how I read it. How I read it is when I am not scheduling my satisfaction in God and growing in my joy in the Lord because I'm not filled with joy from God, I'm going to fill that void, that deep void, with something else, and it's going to take me further and further off track. That's how I take that. Sin is what you do. So every time I sin, it's like you ought to look at what, where it is that you, your rhythm is faulty, that your joy isn't satisfied in God. Maybe you've never experienced a kind of joy in God that you don't want to give up. Maybe it's all just sort of a religious external form thing where where joy, joy in God, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the soul satisfying, this quenching thirst that literally you you can learn to get it all over yourself and and spill it on others and, and take a satisfying drink. That you are so enjoying God and life that you don't want to give that up by taking in what is taking you off of that rhythm. She had a deeper thirst that she was ignoring, she was looking for love, she was looking for acceptance. She was looking for forgiveness. But she had come to the place where she didn't believe love, acceptance, and forgiveness were even available to her anymore. So she's hiding. She buries all of those deep things she thirsts for, buries them down thinking they're no longer available to me. I've chosen my path. I am who I am. I can't interact with the people that others interact with. I am unforgivable, unlovable, unlovable etc, etc. The accuser has done his job with her so well, she believes the lie. She cannot be loved, she cannot be accepted, she cannot be forgiven, and she's just trying to survive. And so what do you do when that's where you live? To have a little squeeze of happiness to take a sip of And we see people broken all around us who are sipping from all the wrong cups, doing all the wrong things as they're not experiencing that deep satisfaction and joy that comes from being loved and accepted and forgiven and free. And here comes Jesus loving her, accepting her, forgiving her, and highlighting words that he knows and he still Talking to her, unheard of. He's a Jew, he's a religious Jew, he is a prophet, he's a representative of God. God hasn't forgotten me, God loves me, God accepts me if I'm acceptable, lovable, and forgivable to Him. And she goes off so excited. She came all that way with a jar of, to fill up with water and she left it as soon as the other disciples showed up. And she runs away to tell everybody about Jesus because she's now taken a sip of love and of acceptance and of forgiveness. Things that she thought were not available to her, it, he talks about it as a way that she needs to get back to real Thirst satisfying. Sips. Do you have spaces in your life that are all locked up like hers? You never want to talk about it. They're deep, dark secrets. They're a mess. Maybe they're a mess right now. And maybe they're a pattern of a mess that you've tried and tried and tried. You can't seem to solve. You're broken you're hurt, your habits are all out of alignment. You're crying out to God, but you haven't told a soul that actually has flesh and blood. You lock it up deep down within you. God sent his son so that in flesh and blood, through a person, you could feel loved and accepted and forgiven. And guess what? He's sending me. Guess what? He's sending you. Guess what? Small groups are a place where over time, if you are able to trust somebody enough, you can begin to share those places that have your heart so locked up and buried in pain that you realize, even with that, I'm okay. You can really know me and still give me grace? Yes. You know why? Because Jesus gave grace to me. And he is able to put the key, the right key, right into the slot and unlock the heart to receive grace, to receive forgiveness. And it's our job to love somebody the way Jesus loves others as well. Jesus revealed himself to this woman before he revealed himself to the public. I am the Christ. This is something he hadn't been saying He revealed it to her. And he is claiming to be the answer to the world's thirst. Now, here is another quote that is a favorite of mine from John Piper. Same book, Future Grace. And it is, Belief is not merely an agreement with facts in the head. It is also an appetite for God in the heart, which fastens on Jesus for satisfaction. If all you have is a belief in some facts in your head, but you don't have an appetite, a thirst for God, that you find satisfied when you fasten yourself to Jesus, you have some work to do. You have some intentionality to build in, seeking the face of Jesus seeking the forgiving face of jesus the loving face of jesus the accepting face of jesus and believing that he really loves you personally like paul believed when he said that jesus is his savior that he died for me I, I, I am fascinated because I used to think, you know, where does it talk about a personal Savior? Well, Paul talks about it in personal terms when he inserts me. He died for me. While I was still a sinner, he died for me. He was still in rebellion against Jesus and rebellion against everything Jesus stood for. And Jesus knew that. And he knows your situation even while you're in rebellion With a locked up heart, in the broken space, in the broken place, he loves you then enough to forgive you, to release you, to set you free. So you need to come to him and fasten your thirst upon him and begin to experience a spiritual growth that bubbles up inside of you. If you don't understand the Bible, it could be that you're not alive spiritually. If you don't have a thirst for the Bible, it could be that you haven't actually had that key inserted and opened up. Because only when you're made alive, this is called regeneration, only when you've really given yourself to Jesus does the Spirit of God enter into your spirit and now the Spirit begins to bubble up inside of you with the satisfaction that comes from meeting with God. If you don't have a satisfaction meeting with God, cry out as a, son does to his father, would you give me a loaf of bread? And Jesus says, which father would give a stone to a son that's crying out for bread? Or cry out for a fish. Which father would give a son a snake if he wants a fish? Cry out for the Holy Spirit. Which heavenly father would give you something awful when you're pleading? Give me your spirit. That's the point of the whole teaching of Jesus there. Ask him to give you life. Ask Him to be your Savior. When the Spirit of God enters into your life and changes your dead spirit to a living spirit, now you can be set free to direct your body and direct your mind, will, and emotions to please God by the empowerment of the Spirit. You'll enjoy it so much, you'll walk away from the false drinks. The false satisfaction. All attraction of the wrong path will be taken away as the attraction on the right path becomes so satisfying. You don't want to let that joy go. If I'm not describing your life, you have some work to take some drinks. You have some intentionality that you need to apply in your relationship. I'm sorry, I just kind of started preaching there. <laughs> you don't have to be a down-and-outer to feel this deep thirst. Malcolm Muggeridge was a household name in Britain in the uh, 1960s and 70s. He was on the TV, he was on radio, he was written a whole bunch of books, everybody knew about him, and so you don't have to be a down-and-outer to feel this deep thirst. He wrote this, I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the inland revenue. That's success. That's also, must be a British way of saying it. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions that's pleasure it might happen once in a while that something i said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time and that's fulfillment so let me just review he talked about fame success pleasure and fulfillment and he had all of these Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, and they are nothing less than nothing a positive impediment measured against one draught. I had to cross that out and put one drink of that living Christ, the living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. So I want you to be taking this message somewhere. Here's what I don't want you to do. Oh, that was good. I want you to take that into yourself deeper so it gets down to your feet with some steps what does that intentionality look like for you? We're talking spiritual rhythm here. And you've had a rhythm going, and you've had multiple other rhythms attached. If you've been out of sync with God and don't have a rhythm to experience that joy I've been describing, that bubbling up joy where you're drinking and drinking and drinking from that satisfaction that's fastened upon Jesus and it's so deep. You do not want to go there anymore. You have some work to do. And it's going to start with admitting honestly, I need you, Jesus. My desires are all messed up my thirst mechanism is faulty. There's this big gap between what I want right now and you. Start with the truth and His Spirit will begin to make that gap disappear. But you've got to be willing to take some steps in a spiritual rhythm. I was going to give you the gift of a short message today and I failed to do that. I'm sorry. We're over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us so much truth packaged so well in real lives. Help us to thirst for you and add the rhythm to our lives that satisfy us as Jesus described. Because of Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.